Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? I'm good. Just a um, little busy. I got my concrete driveway ripped up today. I'm replacing Ooh. that. And you know what it's like being in the middle of a home repair. It's like the ending will be nice, but getting through the slog in the middle is rough around the edges. I know. I'm still like putting together my house. Like I'm. This is the third or fourth pod I've done in my bedroom. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, we got our patio. So that, that was nice. done yesterday. So have to have you over cook cook some pizzas on the on the new uni. Still haven't busted out of the box yet. But, Pizza um, time. Excited. Excited to have people over and have a housewarming thing. So. Yeah, dude, you take your time to get settled. You've had a lot of changes the last few months, so settle in, take a your time, and I'll be there with a six-pack you know, when you're ready. Sounds good. Did I say a six-pack? I meant a 30-rack. <laughs> yeah, come on. Remember when we used to go to Rodman's and each of us buy a six-pack? Uh, those are the days. I actually went to Rodman's the other day. I was driving by, and I was just like... Well, let me go. Dude, let me let me hop in. Do you remember walking um, off campus to the liquor store, that Asian-owned liquor store up uh, oh, on yeah, Hawaii yeah, yeah, Ave, yeah. and yeah, then yeah. walking back with backpacks? It's just, and then the security would roll by and be like, "I wonder why those freshmen are carrying like four duffel bags." <laughs> Yo, why does everyone have like a backpack and it's full to the brim? They're they're books, textbooks. You know, <laughs> I have all my textbooks in me at once. They love studying. I take lots of notes in class. <laughs> oh, those are the days. Wait, the bookstore's that way. <laughs> exactly. The bookstore's on the other end of campus. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, we got something exciting planned for this episode. Really awesome interview we just wrapped up with two co-authors of the Tier 1 series. That was kind of unique. Yes, Yes, uh, Andrews and Wilson. I, I, I meant I forgot to tell them. I, you know, they mentioned you're going to hear them mention that they, it almost like it's one author. They could just go by Andrew Wilson, like Andrew Wilson. Ex <laughs> they're done exactly. Andrew Wilson. Um, but yeah, no, they're two really nice guys. They were very kind to us. They sent us some merch. Go out there, support them, read their book, and yeah, we hope you enjoy this interview with them. Welcome to our next Authors Series edition. We are really excited to welcome two guest authors on the show tonight. We have with us Brian Andrews and Jeffrey Wilson, the creators and genius behind the Tier 1 Thriller Series. Thanks for joining us tonight, guys. Thanks for having us, man. Great to be here. It's nice that you recognized us with the word genius because, <laughs> you know, now we'll come back for another show. Right. It's, I like to hear it up front too, because right. otherwise the whole show, we're trying to figure out how we work it in. So <laughs> We're off to a good start then. <laughs> Check the first box off. Yes. We're really excited to have you today. And I just want to say like, I, I first was, I first came across you guys by Amazon actually uh, recommended your book to me. I guess it, Amazon knows my preferences so much. It was like, here, boom, you should read this. So I, I, tier one was it. So, but before we get into your books, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, who is and what is Andrews and Wilson? Like, who are you guys? Well, we both used to be taxi drivers, right, Jeff? <laughs> and <laughs> No, we're Navy veterans. Uh, first and foremost, we're Navy veterans. And we're friends. So we met at ITW Thriller Fest, which is just one of the greatest collection of thriller writers on earth. It really has become, you know, sort of the go-to conference for anybody that wants to get into this business. And we met there and, um, you know, Jeff likes to tell the story that, you know, I was this lonely submarine guy sitting at this table by himself. Um, as we know, all submarine officers are like socially inept and you know, I was, I think I was crying at the time. Is that right? I, I, that's how I remember it. I, I mean, you say that's not it, but I know I can tell you this, he was by himself in a crowded room. That's right. 
And I think I was just doing shots by myself, you know, like stacking them up, you know. As thriller writers do. Right, right. Just get the courage up to talk to anybody who'd listen. And um, and then, and that's when the stalking started. I mean, he saw me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, I will tell you that, you know, we joke a little bit about it. That's an exaggeration of how it happened. The, um, this, this, the psychopathy was probably more mine. Um, I hate these social things and cocktail parties and stuff like that. It was, you know, we were part of the same debut author class. So we were already both writing. We both had books out uh, and it was the year of our debut for both of us. And um, so I had to be there. And I remember sitting in the hotel room with, uh, with Wendy, with my wife, and I'm looking through the program and I'm looking at all the writers and reading their bios and I'm trying to find any other military guys so that I can have like four or five people that I can actually talk to and feel comfortable. And uh, so that's, it's really on me more than anybody, but I did. Brian was one of the people in the bio that, you know, I, I sort of memorized his picture and he was sitting by himself. I'm sure he had just chased away a throng of fans, but I recognized like that's that Navy guy. And I went over and chatted with him and sure enough um, we hit it off, became fast friends, not just because of the Navy, connection, although that's part of it, but our, we're both married. We're both very family oriented people. We had kids the same age. We're at that same stage in life. We both were debut authors. And so we became incredibly good friends. And that was kind of it. Like there was no, you know, lightning that struck and said we should be co-authors together. Uh, In fact, when Brian first floated it, probably a year, at least a year later, we stayed in touch and we're good friends. Brian had the idea to do it because he was from the submarine community and I'd worked in the special warfare community. And he's like, you know, we could do this brand of like subs and seals and it'd be so cool. And it sounded cool. I just couldn't imagine how you write, like how two people write together. It just didn't seem possible. So I'll be honest. I at first was the one that said, look, I'll, you know, I'll help you with the book. It sounds like a great idea, but I don't, I don't, I said, no, I was like, I, I, you're a good friend. And I don't think you still will be if we try to do this. So initially I, I passed. It is one of those things that, you know, sounds a little crazy, you know, cause <laughs> right. You know, writing is you putting your pros on the page and you know, how do you, how do you make that work? You know, we've talked to other co-author pairs. We've been on panels with them. And a lot of times what you see is, you know, each person is writing sort of their own stuff and it kind of gets merged together. And what you end up with is two distinct voices. Right. And, um, you know, that can be, if, if you're the reader and you like both of the author's voices, it's fine. Um, but it is, it is noticeable. And sometimes you'll see reviews on certain books were, that were co-authored and they, that, that can be brought up. And I think one of the things that we take great pride in is, we hear a lot in our reviews that they think we're one person or that, you know, they can't tell who wrote what. And, and that's because our process from the very beginning, we were very intentional about saying, uh, and I give Jeff all the credit in the world for this is really his idea. You know, we have to take the ego out of this process. It's just about the finished product. And, um, you know, anything is open to redline, anything is open to change. And we really threw ourselves into that model And at first it's a little weird because you're used to thinking that a sentence you wrote is perfect just because you wrote it. And of course that's not true. Um, Every sentence could get better or tighter or more interesting. Um, But what it allowed us to do is to really have the freedom to say, okay, you know, what's working, what's not working and how do we get this great continuous voice all the way through. So if he's editing my work and I'm editing him all the way as we go, you end up with one voice and it's not my voice. It's not his voice. It's the Andrews and Wilson voice. So we've had some people comment on that, which is sort of interesting. I guess just to follow up with that is, do you ever guys run into like loggerheads where like you completely disagree? Uh, Like I wanted to say this, or I want the story to go this way. Like how do you overcome those difficulties if, if they do arise? You would think so. Um, And it sounds like something that we say in interviews that has to be made up. But honestly, we really have never, you know, certainly we've had differences of opinion um, because that's part of the creative process. I I would say 50 or 60 percent of us creating a book is just us talking and brainstorming things out. And so we sort of work through a lot of that creative stuff up front. 
but there are certainly times when we'll get down to the wire and I've written something and he's like, you know, I think it worked better this way or vice versa. So I'm not saying that we never have a, a difference of opinion, but I don't think we've ever argued. Um, you know, Brian mentioned putting ego aside and, um, you know, in the military, there's a real, it's bred into you, especially in the communities we come from, this idea of team before self, of mission before self. And I think it gets into your DNA and just becomes a part of how you do everything. And so I think that helps us, that military background. Right. It helps us look at something as a process, as a team. So that removes some of the, the ego and the conflict. But honestly, we have such trust in one another because we've been doing this for a while now. Um that if I get down and I'm like, I feel pretty strongly about this, but I can tell Brian really has a, a powerful opinion. I'll, I'll defer and I'll say, look, you know, first of all, anything can be changed, right? So it's okay. If you feel that strongly about it, let's do it that way. And we'll see where it goes. And we can always go back and change it. And Brian, correct me if I'm, if I'm missing one, but I can't think of a time when we've done that where one of us has yielded that we then went back and changed it. So there's a lot of trust involved, um, but there has never been an argument that I can that I can think of. We talk about it. In fact, a lot of times when there's I don't know, I like this and I like this. What it what happens instead is it sort of merges into some third Plays thing together. as you brainstorm it out. So is it like uh, yeah. are you guys writing the same chapter at the same time? Like, do you have just a Google Doc up or, you know, how does like what's the logistics behind this? I'm really intrigued by this. I recently read a a novel that was co-authored. And the way they wrote it was they each they it, the premise of the book was to write like letters to each other. So they didn't even know they would like send each other letters, and then and then the story would evolve over time. So I'm just intrigued by this co-authoring and how the like the physics of it work. I guess what we do is sort of almost like that, but that's just phase one. So we do divide up the book into chapters by point of view. So we write third person, multi character point of view which gives us right. great flexibility in, in this particular genre. You know, it's great because we have the hero, we have the villain, and we have supporting cast. So you get sort of this nice 365 look at the plot and everybody's perspective as it's unfolding. And it also keeps it more interesting and fresh for, for each of us. So, uh, you know, if you, you read Sons of Valor, okay. So, you know, it wasn't that, you know, I wrote only Chunk and, Hero only, Kasim or Whitney or vice versa. We all spent time, or we both spent time in all the characters' head rather, heads, and uh, that's really exciting as an author because um, you want to know these characters and stuff. And sometimes what we'll say to the other guy is, "Hey, you know what? Uh, as we're sort of mapping out the chapters, I'm kind of excited to write this chapter. Are you okay if I take this one?" And I can't think of a single time when I said that where Jeff's like, no, I want to write that chapter or vice versa. You can, you can usually tell, you know, I usually will know Jeff's probably going to want this chapter. He might be excited about it. I'll ask him. And, and that's sort of how we just divvy it up. And, you know, um, it's that switching around of those chapters. I think that makes the characters maybe a little bit more um, authentic. And here's, this is kind of a weird way to get to what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. But if you think about it, we all have sort of, dialogue patterns that we fall into and ways of thinking that we fall into. And so if you read a book from an author, a lot of times, especially if you're in the fifth, sixth, seventh book of a novel, you'll say, well, that person seems a lot like this other character, right? This reminds me of so-and-so. But because there's the two of us inside each person's head, that personality really sort of gets mixed up. The dialogue isn't just the way I talk or Jeff talks. It really is a mixture and it allows us to write we think characters that are um, very differentiated from each other. Yeah, I will say just to give you a little bit, drilling down on a little bit more of that detail, we we don't write a chapter at, together. Um, we divide the chapters up. And like, like Brian said, I don't do just one POV and him another. But like, let's say in the first act, the, you know, first act of a three act structure, maybe I do most of Dempsey in act one. Um, but every chapter that we write, every few chapters, we exchange them and the other guy rewrites that chapter. So you're always still in the story and stuff like that. But then we're very intentional. Like Brian said, you know, maybe he'll say, gosh, I want to write this one because I have some ideas on it. Or every now and then he'll say, hey, why don't you write that one? And it's because he knows that I need to get into that headspace because 
I wasn't, you know, I was writing somebody else in the first third. Now I need to get sort of into that character's head. So there's a lot of trading back and forth, um, but we do write simultaneously. So I'm writing like chapter one and two, and he's on three and five, and I'm going to do four, and we swap them back and forth. It sounds chaotic, but it actually uh, is pretty efficient. So what I heard from that is that to decide who gets the action scenes, you each pick a weapon, and then you fight to the death. <laughs> that's what i heard right that's what you heard. That's, okay that's what we said all right cage match you know okay yeah there's a lot of cage matches <laughs> yeah and a lot of actions in those books so that's a lot of fight weapon of choice if you were gonna fight over who gets to write the action scene <laughs> if i was fighting brian i don't know just the back of my hand <laughs> i'd use a i'd use a tomahawk <laughs> okay <laughs> Hey, well, since you brought it up and really, really intriguing hearing the process of how this works, my mind's just going into Sons of Valor. And you guys kind of rebooted the Tier 1 series, if you will, and you created and was born Keith Chunk Redman. Would you say where he came from and who Chunk became is part of the the outgrowth of this relationship where you say... It's not one perspective battling or trying to make space for another, but the two come together and make this omniscient third, if you will. Would you say Chunk kind of was born of that process? And how did you guys decide to move the series on to this next protagonist? Yeah, I mean, I think he was born out of that process. But what's fun about Chunk and his whole team is they were born out of our process of collaboration, for sure. But they were also evolved out of feedback we got from our readers. Mm. So the first time we introduced Chunk, um, which was in uh, War Shadows, um, he had a very small role. He was only in a, a, a handful of chapters in that book, in the middle of the book. And we got as much mail on him as we do on some of our lead characters. Like they just, hey, I hope we get to, you know, a little something. We hope we see Chunk again. And um, we had decided early on that we were going to, you know, in order to paint a picture that's a little bit more realistic than most thriller novels of how that universe actually works. We wanted to have layers of interactions with other agencies. And, you know, the idea would be that they work with an agency and then you're going to maybe see those characters again, because that's how it works in the real world. You know, you're just cross paths over and over again. So we always had sort of had that idea. Um, and when we got so much positive feedback on Chunk, we put him in, as you know, a couple more books, uh, including Red Spectre, where he had a very big role by then. We sort of had made the decision, but we grew his team a little bit and some of the characters on the team. Um, from the very beginning, we knew that there would be uh, potential to do something as a spinoff in the universe from tier one, because the premise of tier one is that the entire tier one SEAL team gets wiped out, right? Because of leaked intelligence. And in the real world, they would fill that vacuum. They'd stand that team up again. So we always had sort of in the back of our mind that we would revisit that. We didn't know that it would be a spinoff series, but once Chunk started getting all of this positive feedback, it was very natural to just say, Oh my gosh, like, if they were going to stand it up and now Chunk's been involved with these guys, I bet they'd tap him. And uh, so it sort of grew out of that collaboration, some reader feedback, and then just an excitement about bringing the tier one team back. That's pretty cool. And it makes me think a lot about we are the Mitch Rap podcast about right. Vince Flynn and the universe he created, because we hear from our listeners all the time. We ourselves bring up all the time how we thirst for some spinoffs and more adventure stories of a Scott Coleman, an Irene, a young Irene Kennedy, uh, or a, Irene Kennedy. Yeah. An origin story, right. For Irene. How cool would that be? Maybe an entire trilogy on that. That would be amazing. And just how you guys took chunk and wanted to expand upon that and now have taken what looks like the initiative to start a series or reboot a series around him. I, I just wonder if that, could be like the phase two of a rap series one day and and who that would be because characters have to age as much as you know Kyle and Vince tried to keep rap around for as long as they could and and Kyle Mills has even said he he's not aging rap as fast as he should be in like the regular chronological order of things so we can have him around inevitably the day will come for what's next in the series and 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 I kind of like how you took Chunk and you know put him on a pedestal for, I assume your next few books. No, he's going to be around, right? 
Well, this, I mean, this is truly a, a separate series. I mean, it's a shared world. There's going to be crossover between plot lines. There'll be rep for the savvy readers. There'll be references and there'll be character cameos that pop in and out. But we're going to continue tier one. The series is not done. It's just going to continue in parallel. And, you know, when we started tier one, even the tagline at the very, you know, when you read the Amazon description page, the tagline says, you know, this is the story of a man transitioning from a seal to a spy. And you guys, as Mitch Rapp experts and Mitch Rapp Uber fans, you know, you can probably see like elements of John Dempsey, you know, morphing towards Mitch. You know, you see that happening to him and that's very intentional. And, you know, there's some readers at some point, you know, around book six that start to think, gosh, you know, am I even reading about a seal anymore? Is this guy a spy? And that's, right. that's by design. And what's cool about Sons of Valor is with that, like you said, I like the word reboot. I like the way that you're thinking about coming back to the beginning because Chunk hasn't changed. Chunk is a seal. Chunk is what Dempsey was right. six books ago. And so for a lot of our fans, even for ourselves, it is sort of fun to remind everybody, this is what tier one was like in the first third of book one. This is what it felt like. Bringing it back to the roots. Yeah. I like the, I like what you're saying too about, um, you know, not necessarily aging characters quickly, but at least evolving them and evolving additional characters. I think that, um, you know, Clancy did that really well with Jack Ryan, didn't he? And now the franchise has done a good job of evolving other characters. And you've got Jack Ryan Jr. series now and, and uh, you know, a lot of neat things. And I think the Ludlum, the born part of the Ludlum series, they've done the same thing. You know, Josh Hood is writing the Treadstone series now. And at the same right. time that we've got these new born books coming out, it would be super exciting to see that happen in the Mitch Ratch rap universe. You know, um, you don't have to take him from, you know, Marine all the way to the, to the president like we did with Jack Ryan, we saw Clancy do. Um, but some evolution of backstory characters even would be really fun and exciting, wouldn't it? Right, right. Although the way we're comparing uh, the two characters here, they're worlds apart in a lot of ways. Uh, Dempsey may be a little closer to rap, aging and becoming that spy. But Chunk, as I'm reading it, he's more like a Scott Coleman. He's that natural born leader. Uh, it seems you guys, and maybe this comes from your personal history, but you guys chose teamwork and putting the team above the individual to be such a cornerstone of who he is as a seal, but also who he is as a human being, the way he treats, uh, the fellow teammates and their families. I love the scenes with the children and the kids and the barbecuing that's that scene from sons of valor just sticks out. How did how did you make Chunk this well-rounded family man and team leader? Because Rap, we don't get that. He he likes the lone wolf. He doesn't trust anyone. He does not want a team around him. He begrudgingly has three people in the world he trusts. You know, Scott, Irene. Well, I don't know if he trusted Hurley back in the day, even so I wouldn't say <laughs> Hurley. But maybe Claudia now he trusts. Him. How did you choose to make Chunk this team leader, almost family man kind of persona? Because that's way different than what we get with our lone wolf rap yeah and different from dempsey too right yeah. like as you as you pointed out it's cool that you picked up on that because you know that certainly was by design but it was also a little bit of a risk like mitch rap um you know jack ryan jack ryan jr uh jason Bourne, dempsey they share some things in common while they're while they're you know their arc is a little bit different their backstory there's always that tragic backstory that was the motivating right. thing that leads them to go off sort of on their own. What we did with Dempsey was we did that evolution, but we slowed it to what we felt was a little bit more rather than starting there and giving you flashbacks. We let you go on the ride of his evolution towards that, you know, more lone wolf by the time he got to, um, you know, collateral for sure. But even by American operator, he was, sort of breaking the rules and going off on his own. And they were pissed at him all the time that he was not following the script in. And so it was a bit of a, a risk. It was very intentional, but a bit of a risk that we talked about a lot about what to do with chunk because chunk is as, as you just pointed out, he's as far from Mitch rap or even who John Dempsey has become as you can get. 
because he doesn't have a tragic backstory. Can you, can you build the hero's journey without that? Because what motivates Chunk? He gets up and he hops out of bed and he's like, I get to be a SEAL again today. He loves his job. He loves his teammates. He loves, there's no angst in Chunk. He just loves what he does. As you pointed out, he's a natural born leader. He's very charismatic and his family is his team. He's a single guy. He doesn't have kids of his own, but he's the perfect uncle. He right. loves those kids of his teammates as if they were blood. And so we really did talk, didn't we, Brian, a lot about how is that going to work? And, you know, he's a great character, but is he, is he the leading character for something like this? It was genius. And, uh, it worked. It landed. Oh, well, thank We're you. We're glad to hear that. Because yeah. when he showed, like Jeff said, when he showed up in War Shadows, he was he was not comic relief, but he was close, you know, to that. He was <laughs> he was the bright light, the ray of hope compared to Dempsey's brooding, you know, and cynicism. And so, like Jeff said, we spent a lot of time thinking, you know, can this guy carry a series? Will fans really rally around him? And then also, again, back to this idea, we love how you noticed the teamwork um, element because that's real life. You know, real life, there is no one SEAL who goes out on a mission by himself. There is, it takes a hundred people to operate a nuclear submarine, fast attack nuclear submarine. It's not just one dude like up there on the con, like fire the torpedoes, you know, all by himself. So, you know, we wanted to capture the ethos of real life military service and what it's really like to be in these situations. And that doesn't necessarily fit the dramatic mold that people uh, want. I mean, it's just natural. I'm a reader. I want to rally around a character. You know, I want to be excited about Bob or John or whoever, you know, Jack Ryan. I, you, you want to rally around the one hero. It's, it's human nature. So how do we do that? And, and like Jeff said, it took us a long time to dial it in for Chunk. To give you more praise and pile it on. I think you did that in a really smart way with another character whose arc might even be more developed than Chunks in this book, and that's Whitney or Heels. And I don't want to say too much, but boy, does she play such a perfect role for establishing who Chunk is, the way he welcomes her, the way he, <laughs> I guess, trains her in some ways, uh, relies on her and trusts her. By putting her in as a, I guess you would call it secondary character, even though to me she was a main character. She carried the story pretty well. You took a secondary character, almost made them rise to the level of your primary character because it highlighted the qualities of that primary character. Mm. How did you make her? And what you seem to write a female perspective and a female character really well. Was it was it your wives, you know, kind of influencing that? <laughs> that? Like, how'd you pull it off? Well, for sure, it's being married, right, Brian? Yeah, yeah very true. Well, we spent time, uh, a lot of time talking about her because in we had a very strong female protagonist, Elizabeth Grimes in Tier 1. But Elizabeth's uh, MO is, I want to be as tough as these guys. I want to hang with the guys. I want to kick down doors. I want to show them that I, I, I will not be intimidated. And we said, you know, we don't we don't want to just have a clone of Elizabeth. We want someone younger. She's a millennial. She yep. thinks differently. And you remember, Jeff, that conversation we, we had where like, what if she just doesn't even like to exercise? You know? <laughs> oh, the running scene. Yeah. Guys, if <laughs> yeah. any of our listeners, if you did not read Sons of Valor, just wait for the running scene. You'll know what I'm talking about. It was brilliant. <laughs> And we won't, we won't spoil anything no. here, but I do remember that conversation, Brian. And I remember that the development of Whitney Watts was partly exactly what you said. She, she needed to be a foil to Chunk to really be able to see Chunk's multidimensional character. But the other thing we tried to do with Whitney, as well as some of the other characters uh, on the team, is the whole premise of this book, in addition to, you know, obviously sharing the universe with Tier One and standing up this new, this new team, the real thematic element that we're trying to weave through the first book and through the entire series is this idea of a multi-generational war, right? And so, you know, yeah. we talk about this a lot, the idea that, you know, there are people out there now getting ready to deploy who weren't born when 9-11 happened, 
right? That's Very true. It's kind of mind blowing because it feels like yes, it is mind blowing. Right? Um, you know, I have a son now who's going to turn twenty one. Uh, I also have a five year old, but that's anyway. So we have this twenty one year old son. He could easily be deploying, right? Um, if he if that was the decision he made, uh, and he was born um, just in in August of two thousand, so he was one. Um, and so we really wanted to, to address that. And we wanted to address the idea of a new generation of warfighters on both sides, right? What's the new generation of warfighter look, the millennial, et cetera, within the SEAL teams and the intelligence community? And what does that look like on the bad guy side? So with that being sort of the foundation that we had set as a framework for where we wanted the series to go, Whitney Watts became the obvious, right? She's the obvious bringing in that thing. What is, what is different about her type of service from your grandfather, right? Um, Brian talks a lot about, you know, the idea that service is defined by sacrifice. Well, here's a generation of people that don't think that way. Does that make their service less meaningful? Of course not. Whitney Watts isn't there whining and moaning about how hard it is. She's doing something that she loves. She's trying not to do the stuff she doesn't want to do. And she's an integral part of the team, a brilliant person, whose presence needs uh, to be there. And so that was very intentional and very, we put a lot of effort into Whitney Watts, a lot of effort. We sort of knew Chunk already, but we put a lot of work into her to bring those those themes into the book. That paid off as well. Love her character. Yeah, I think, you know, you guys mentioned it earlier, but I think like the fact that, you know, I think being co-authors really helps you, I don't know, give more life and personality to a multitude of characters that, you know, a sole author, while if they're really good, they they can do it multiple times. But like you said, you can see like the same sort of character popping up over and over again, but characters aren't like that in, in, in actual life. Yeah. Well, and we have someone I can call, right? Like yeah. if you, when I, when I've written books by myself and you get stuck and where do I go with this guy? I didn't have a Brian that I could just call and he could fix it for me. Um, and, and having that, it's not just, preventing writer's block, which we talk about all the time. Writer's block for us lasts as long as it takes to dial the number and then we're <laughs> off and running again. Um, but it's more than that. It's not just, I call Brian and I get an answer. I call Brian, he gives me an answer. That makes me think of something. Mm-hmm. And then we, we push each other okay. up, up, up right. to where I don't even remember what the question I called him about is, but I know where I got something really special yeah. now. And that's really, really cool. Having a Brian is like having a Chris. Everyone should have a Brian. Everyone should have a Brian. There's the title of our interview. Dude, that's that's the next shirt for the merch. So I have to commend, you know, we're giving you guys a lot of praise, but one more piece of praise, your covers. Mm. So on on our podcast, we every time we do a Mitrap book or, or Vince Flynn book or Kyle book, we, we talk about the covers and we love a good cover. And you guys have really good covers. I wanted to know, do you guys, do you think about these? Or are you involved in them in, in any way? Uh, they seem to be, I don't know, I just, I really enjoy your guys' covers. I wonder if you could touch on that in any way. So first of all, thank you for noticing. Um, you know, the tier one cover, we had a lot of input. And, and what's cool about it, a lot of people don't know. And we could even pull up some stuff, you know, just this first one just sort of has some of the ethos right in there. So, you know, you can see that the world is tilted. We call that the tier one tilt. Every cover had a tilt because it was this idea that, you know, Dempsey's world was just knocked off balance from the, from the very beginning of the book. And um, there's always a hidden bone frog. It's the most visible on the first cover, but that bone frog, as you know, it's also, it's also on the spine typically of all the books. That bone frog represents the... Uh, the frogmen is a name for the you know, seals or frogmen and the bones of the frogmen that represents the honoring the fallen. So those two elements were on all the tier one books along with an explosion was always somewhere in there and, and um, the operator moving. And, you know, we, one of the things that we loved about um, Blackstone Publishing is we think they have the best covers in industry. So we, we put together, you know, a nice mood board with all the tier one covers and other elements we liked and uh, sent that to the artist. And they came up with this, which also has a slight tier one tilt paying homage to the, uh, uh, the tier one series. But you'll notice the six stars. Some folks might not mm. notice that or 
piece that together. But that's uh, an oblique reference, right, Jeff, to the unit. Okay. You've got this badge title, which is something that uh, they put together that we've never seen before. It looks like a block of, uh, of aluminum just sort of stamped onto it's, the cover. It's really cool. I will say we've, we've always been very involved in our covers and we've been very blessed to work with uh, publishers and, and cover artists who are willing to engage with us and, you know, go back and forth and make tweaks. And they've always been very gracious about that. But I will tell you the, the one thing that stands out about the Sons of Valor cover, other than how amazing it is, is that cover came to us and we were like, done. Yeah. Like there, <laughs> there was like a couple tiny little, you know, there's always a little something, but like the tier one, every other cover we've ever done. Uh, actually, we have a series coming out in September that I, I we should say, we're going to talk about covers. We have this amazing cover for um, Dark Intercept, the first book in the, the Shepherd series. And I will say that was another example yeah. where the cover came and we were like, I mean, we feel like we should say something. So we look like we care, but um, the Blackstone <laughs> did such an incredible job with this cover that it came and there were a couple minor little things that we tweaked, but we made no structural change to that cover. That's, that's an amazing cover artist team right there, um, that used our input and mood boards and looked at the old covers and that's what they came up with. It's incredible. Isn't it? I love the cover. What, what drives me nuts is, is with some of these, um, and I know it's not the author's fault. Normally it's like the the third publishing of the paperback, but you get like some cover artist in there who puts a random scene that has nothing to do with the yeah. book. It's, it's just not generic. even in the book. On any thriller, it. you know, any any thriller thing, and I don't know. It it really uh, it warmed my heart to see your guys' covers. It, they're very <laughs> that good. group must have some liaisons or military somebody in the military community because those tech specs and the badassery like this these super <laughs> high tech commandos with the with the night vision goggles and everything that's intense like i i was intimidated <laughs> by your covers at first and it was crazy with sons of valor because you flip those goggles up and then it's chunk and you know just this, this kind of deep emotional guy and just superhuman on a personal level like that Wearing all that crazy super commando shit, like in all that gear, it's man, those covers are just badass. They're just bad. That that the, the uh, representation of the character Chunk was so perfect and so iconic. I mean, I know you've got it there, and I've got it. I've got it. It reproduces in so many different ways. It's you know we're, we partnered with Bone Frog Coffee, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, to. Uh, have a Sons of Valor blend, which we use to raise awareness for Seal Legacy Foundation, as well as the several other charities. But it was like, it was this perfect cover to reproduce on coffee, on shirts. on I mean, they, that character is just perfect. It's right on. It's exactly correct. Absolutely. And, and just because we'll be running the audio, you showed a mug there. I'm wearing my t-shirt. Yes, go, go buy some merch. Buy some, <laughs> buy some uh, coffee. Where can the people find your merch or get links to, to the Bone Frog Coffee? It's all on our website. So if you go to our author website, andrews-wilson.com, there's links to all of our books. And we have a dedicated fans page. So we love when people send in pictures of us with, or not of us, but of themselves with, with the book or in the merch. We'll post that to our wall. And there's also a link, uh, if you go to the top, it just says gear. And that goes to our merch site. And that's andrews-wilson-gear.com if you want to just type it in. And in addition to going there to check out your gear, folks can order Sons of Valor and all your, your other books. And there's another book in the series. You mentioned Dark Intercept. Can you give us a hint at what's going on with this new... Is this a, is this a standalone novel? Is this a, a new series? Where'd that idea come from? Yeah, so this is a new series that we're really excited about. It's something a little different for the Andrews and Wilson brand. It brings that same door-kicking Navy SEAL kind of character to the page in a, in a very different way that also pulls through it um, some faith elements and some supernatural spiritual warfare elements. It's published by Tyndale House, uh, which is, you know, is one of the largest, probably the largest uh, Christian fiction uh, publishing houses in the world. Um but this is a new type of thing for us. It is the first book in a series. Um, it'll be at least three books. We hope it'll be more. Uh, but the premise here is that a Navy SEAL, Jedediah Johnson, uh, 
who is at, at the end of his career. He's medically retiring after, uh, after an injury and gets a phone call from uh, someone from his past who shared a uh, experience that we won't get into uh, and spoil anything. But these two young men in high school shared an experience where they confronted true evil and it sent their lives on different trajectories. Jedediah was originally going to become a youth pastor and he became a Navy SEAL instead. And his buddy, who was a troublemaker, wound up becoming a pastor. And now his daughter has been kidnapped and he asks Jed to help track her down. Uh, so it's a it's a very different story for us. But I think fans of Andrews and Wilson will see things that they are very familiar in Jedediah, in some of the SEAL action that we have. Uh, and then there's this whole elite team that we don't want to say too much about that evolves from this story uh, and uh, carries on the series from there. So it's the, the same kind of stuff cool. we do, but with another faith element to it that addresses issues of crisis and faith and spiritual warfare that a lot of people that have uh, spent time in combat theaters of operation have struggled with. So it was an opportunity to sort of share some of those experiences with folks. Was that something that you guys had wanted to do or did they reach out to you or, you know, or how, how did that come about? Sort of both, right, Brian? Yeah, we, we had kicked around. We had a discussion about evil, true evil in combat or, you know, have you ever faced true evil? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Is it real or is it in your head and your mind? Does that, what is it, how does that fit in with God and faith? And um, so we, we sort of started playing around with it. We started writing it and uh, we'd written maybe hundred pages and uh, we were really excited about it. And uh, it was, it was about the same time we were working on tier one and tier one took off and, and we kind of put it on the back burner and, but it, the story never left us. And that's one of the things that I think, I don't know how it is for other authors, but Jeff and I are both the same on this point, which is maybe it's our psychoses. I don't know, but <laughs> like the characters start to feel like real people to us. They really don't feel like characters. Sure. They feel like mm -hmm. people that we know and we kind Friends. of, yeah. And we kind of want to tell their story. We wanted to tell Jeff's story. We wanted to know what happened to him. And um, like Jeff said, it's a little bit of a risk because there are some supernatural elements in the story. So sort of think, think um, Stranger Things meets Taken with a little dash of tier one, like thrown in for good measure. <laughs> that's, okay. I, I hadn't thought about it that way, Brian. That's, that's perfect. That sounds very, very intriguing. So you, you got my, you got my pre I was just <laughs> thinking, this sounds like The Shack meets Jack Carr meets Dr. Strange. There you Strange. go. Yeah. Wait, I'm <laughs> Mike, I'm writing that down. <laughs> what was what was really cool was, you know, a, there's a lot of a lot of writers, uh, including ourselves, who at times have these stories that you're dying to tell and you're busy and that just you just feel like it's never going to happen because you've got other projects and, you know, life and that kind of thing. And this one just apparently the, the universe needed this story told because we hadn't even thought about it in I don't know, a year or more than that, probably. And a good friend of ours, Josh Hood, who uh, writes the Treadstone series for uh, Putnam. He was on an airplane with uh, someone from Tyndale and they were talking. He was coming back from a writer's conference. And <laughs> he was asking him about his writing and, and he's got a very strong faith. They were talking about their faith. And she goes, wow, you know, we're really looking to grow our male readership. And, you know, we want to start branching out into more action and adventure. Do you have anything like that? And Josh being Josh said, Oh no, I don't have, I just, I just kill terrorists and kick indoors, but I have some friends that, cause we had talked to him, him about this story like two years earlier. And uh, so he calls us up and he goes, would you mind if I shared contact information? I was like, Oh no, that's okay. You can do that. And he goes, Oh good. Cause I did. And, uh, <laughs> and, and honestly we thought, you know, some lady on a plane like that, that was going to be the end of it. But literally 48 hours later, Gina calls us our agent, amazing agent, uh, Gina Panateri at Talcott Notch calls us. And she says, I got a call from Tyndale house and our, our editor there now, Karen Watson, uh, who's the publisher for fiction for Tyndale, uh, asked to talk to us. And we had a nice conversation about the direction of action fiction and how it overlaps with faith fiction. And, and there you go. <laughs> and it just sort of cool. fell out of the sky. And, and here it is, comes out September 7th. So I guess uh, 
go Josh Hood, I, I guess. Again, folks can order that on your website. It's andrews-wilson.com. Is that right? Yeah, Great. Yeah, there's links to uh, there's links to buy all of our books on the site. Uh, you can't buy them through the site, but there's links to whoever your favorite bookseller is. You know, as you know, we all strongly encourage people to support their independent booksellers in their communities if they can. Our books are there too, but uh, yeah, there's links throughout the site. All right. Well, before we let you go, we have to ask a question we like to ask all of our guests. Do you have a favorite Mitch Rapp, either character or book or memory or interaction, uh, anything about Vince Flynn that uh, stands out to you? Well, I, I, I'll go first. I, I just, my, my favorite interaction is just how I feel like Vince, if you read, you, you read some of his early articles, you know, or interviews when he's talking about how, um, you know, he really, he didn't think of himself as a storyteller. You know, he didn't think of himself as a big deal. He's very humble. And, you know, here's a guy who really, jumped into a very guarded industry and blazed a path with a character that's every bit as iconic, if not more iconic than any other thriller hero in history. Um, and I just, I just loved his optimism and enthusiasm about and, and humble and humility, I guess, you know, those, it's interesting that those things all went hand in him as him as an author person which is why it's so cool that kyle is writing it now right because there's another gentleman author what a great guy yeah. kyle mills you know you know that you know that mitch rap is in good hands with kyle mills i think for me like i first of all i agree with everything you say everyone uh in the writing community is as big a fan of vince flynn as they are of the mitch rap character in the stories because he's just this amazing human being god god rest his soul so tragic to lose him um for me, the stories, I, I do remember um, when I, I can't remember which one, because now I've read so many of them. I don't remember which of my first one was, but it wasn't the first one. It was like in the middle and my dad had given it to me and I read it. And I was like, whoa, whoa. What? <laughs> and then you look and there's like three others already. And I was like, wait a minute, where is where did this come from? And I think what struck me when I first was introduced to Mitch Rapp was the way that Flynn, others have done this, but not like, like Vince Flynn and now Kyle do with Mitch Rapp, the way they built a universe around a character that was multidimensional. Usually when you have a character that drives an entire series as, you know, we talked earlier about the solo, you know, guy versus a team, it's very difficult for you to develop a multidimensional universe around one dude, mm -hmm. right? You can do it in a book, maybe two, but to do it over and over and over again and have the backstory grow and have the back secondary characters grow despite their lack of, of uh, you know, being in the floodlights. Yep. That's an amazing gift. And, and I was struck by that in the very first book, how even characters that only had a couple of pages in the whole book, they were still real people. They weren't just like a placeholder to convey information to the reader and move on. So true. And, uh, I think that's probably what, what I will always remember about Vince Flynn and what I think Kyle does very, very well as well. Agreed. Agreed. Well, that's awesome. Well, we want to, you know, don't want to take up too much of your time. So, but we thank you for coming on, coming on the pod um, and really encourage our listeners to go out there, buy all your books, pre-order your new book. Yeah. And thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us guys. We'll come anytime. Absolutely. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank Thanks for having us. And hey, if you're audiobook listeners, um, Sons of Valor and Tier One are both narrated by the Ray incomparable Porter. Ray Porter. So, oh, oh, what what was that like hearing so that good. he was going to do your books? Because he nailed it. As always. yeah, I did my first standing backflip. You know, first and only, <laughs> and, and his last, his and last. last. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. That you, was. You great. can say that a uh, dark side from the. The movies yes. read your books. That's pretty <laughs> yep. cool. He is an incredible talent. Yep. And George Goodell doing the Vince Flynn books, Ray Porter doing everything else, you know, Jack Carr, you guys, that that is just awesome. We've got some great narrators in the genre. Yes. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on. This is great. All right. Time. Thanks for coming on.
All right, guys. I uh, hope you enjoyed that that one. Um, our author series. Hope to keep bringing those to you. We we keep finding authors that want to talk to us. Don't know why. Uh, we want to talk to two two bad golfers. Um, but we're we're happy to talk to them. So we're gonna keep bringing them to you. Come on, bad golfers, good podcasters. Good podcasters. And we we gotta get into that. Uh, maybe looking into the Thriller Fest. That that'd be a cool thing to go to. Yeah, that was that was kind of awesome that they were telling us about meeting at Thriller Fest, all these people they see, and just being awesome guys, you know, just good souls. They invited us and said, hey, if you're ever there at Thriller Fest, give us a buzz. We want to take you around, introduce you to people, and, you know, really lean on us. So that was just really cool that they were so open and, and welcoming. We'll have to consider that. I never thought about you and I going to a, a book festival and kind of promoting the wares. I wonder if like they had like a day pass where like we could just go for a day, talk to mm. a bunch of authors, pick their brains. Um, not that we want to, I don't want to become an author, but uh, you know, it'd just no. be cool to, to talk to people. So I wonder if like other conferences I've been to, there are booths, you know, you can get a booth or a table. That'd be kind of cool just to promote the podcast. People come by, talk to us, ask us questions, maybe do a, a live show or something. That would be really cool. We'll have yeah. to, uh, See what 2022 beholds. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, next week we'll be bringing to you our Last Man Part 1 pod. So really looking forward to bringing you that. Mike, you, you've finished half of it, right? I'm Dude, um, like 10 chapters in. It's so good. It's so good. This book good. is a masterpiece. I forgot how good this book is. I read it like... I think last year. I read it during the pandemic, actually. Yeah, we were supposed to go on with... Um, with Ryan. With yeah. Ryan, but then like they, they never actually did that pod, so... Yeah, the, well, his group was going to do a book club discussion of it, but... Yeah, I don't know what happened there. But I read it for that, and I was like, man, this book is so good. And then I kind of forgot about it. I picked it up, and in chapter one, on this reread, which is probably my fifth or sixth read, I was like, man, this book is so good! I, I'm thinking... Top five. I'm not going to wow. put it. I'm not going to give oh, away. Wow. I'm not going to spill the beans yet. But dude, this book is so good. It's very good. I, I like yeah. the, the murder mystery vibe it, it has to it, or like the you know the it's it's more of like a, um I don't know. I'm, we're spoiling next week's content, so right. l- l- look for that. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, we always have to thank our patrons, including our special operator Sherry F. Our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at mitrappod.com or using our Twitter or Instagram handle at mitrappod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Gorilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.